you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. This is Janine Garner and I am your host for today. I am really excited to be chatting today to the fabulous Peter Shields. Peter is a transformational executive coach. He's got a stack load of experience, over 18 years experience, having worked with hundreds of leaders and their teams to achieve meaningful change through improving their business skills and strategic thinking, something that many of us know is absolutely necessary necessary in today's fast-moving business world that many of us are operating in. He's one of Australia's leading coaches and provided expert guidance to leaders in a vast range of industries, including many ASX 200 companies. He's got an incredible background, which we're going to explore in corporate sales and marketing. And along with his study and practice of creativity, psychotherapy, is that right? Creativity or creative psychotherapy? This work has informed Peter's holistic style of leadership coaching. He's very much got an inside-out approach that guides leaders and their teams to overcome personal barriers and unlock inherent potential to transform their organization's collective capability. He is also the author of Leadership Alchemy, a book that is very soon to be launched out there in market. It's a book that I am reading and have all recommended, already recommended to many of my clients and the CEOs that I work with. It's a novel uh, approach to sharing lots of leadership Uh, guidelines, insights, ideas of how we can all become better. So I am happy to introduce to you all the fabulous Peter Shields. Welcome, Peter. Well, thank you, Janine. It's wonderful to have you here. You're down in Cronulla at the moment, aren't you? That's right. And um, thank you for inviting me onto this amazing podcast. I'm pretty uh, excited to, to be involved. It's my absolute pleasure. Now, I want to find out a little bit more about you and how you uh, unleashed your own brilliance to the planet in terms of the work that you do. But where did it all start? What did you want to be when you grew up and why? Can you remember back that far? Actually, I remember wanting to be a teacher. Wow. Chatting with a school teacher about that. And yeah, that was that was something I was keen on doing. Hmm. Mm, um, Can you remember why? What was it about teaching that interested you? I have no idea, but I just reflect on I do really enjoy people. I'm I'm naturally inclined to listen to people and and am interested in how they think and interested in, in, in how they perceive the situations they find themselves in. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just aware as you ask that question, I'd the role I play as a leadership consultant is a little bit teaching as much as consulting and coaching as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. You asked that question. Yeah. I would, I would say that you're very much an educator in the work that you are doing and the impact that you're having. Isn't it funny how that when we look back often what we wanted to be when we were little ends up 
showing itself up in our in our adult life it's fascinating so have you always been a coach or were you did you have a what I like to describe as a proper job for a while yeah, <laughs> yeah proper job and I think it took me two years to recover from that proper job yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I studied science and ended up in agriculture, uh, working in um, agriculture and, and ended up in the sales field and then moved into um, the chemical industry when we in Australia had a strong manufacturing industry. I was uh, in sales and then marketing and sales management um, and then national marketing role. Um, I was in that org for about eight years um, and studying psychotherapy on the side. And what was it that fascinated you about psychotherapy, having doing that sort of sales and marketing role and then doing psychotherapy? What drew you to that, Peter? I'd actually backpacked around the world for six months and upon my return, remember being terrified that I was just about to jump on a plane again. And somebody said, you should study something, give yourself a reason to be here. And I was back in my marketing role and I just flicked open the yellow pages in the days when we used the yellow pages and found creativity psychotherapy i rang the lady who's running that course and i was there two days later wow wow what what can you remember what gravitated you towards that what what, what was the thing that you went oh this sounds interesting well i was, I was looking for a marketing course yeah. and i totally forgot that and saw creativity psychotherapy and just picked up the phone and and uh, yeah just followed my blind um intuition i suppose I love that. My son had to do a, a project last year uh, for his commerce course and he's, he was 14 at the time and uh, part of it was they had to decide what they wanted to be and then budget their life to determine how they were going to afford to exist essentially. Right. And he decided, so, so my 14-year-old my son has never once said what he is interested in or what he wants to be when he grows up and uh, I said, so what did you put down? And he put architect. I said, how can he pick architect? Oh, it was the, it was, began with the A. It was the first thing I saw on the list. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad there was a bit more thought process to yours, Peter. What did you, um, so before we get into that and how that's affected your work or, or um, moulded your work, the, the time that you spent, because you said it took me two years to recover from the, uh, the corporate job, what were what did you learn about yourself during during that period of time whilst you were working corporately? Wow, um, I mean, the wonderful thing about a sales oriented role is you get to meet rejection mm. sooner rather than later, and uh, your results are quite measurable. Uh, so I learned a lot about that, and and benefited from working with some great uh, leaders and experienced people that that mentored and guided me I was I was quite young when I first got involved in that organization I really admire what I learned from funnily enough a gentleman named Bob um, and another one called Ray <laughs> there wasn't a lot of women in that industry in those days sadly um, but yeah I just really learned a lot about how to face rejection and then motivate to continue in service of supporting others and the the, the goals that they had mm. and can you remember the moment when you decided to almost do that career flip that career change from um mm. imagining the regularly paid gig to going out on your own as a transformational coach and business consultant can you remember what made you do that 
Yeah, I was sitting in a youth hostel in Argentina after snowboarding all day and just just sitting around looking at all the faces at that table where it was like a community banquet room and just listening to everybody. I was just like, God, I love people. And, yeah, returning uh, in sales and psychotherapy are very similar to executive coaching too. It's They're very question-intensive, people-oriented um, modalities. So for me, I, I studied psychotherapy, then started practicing and then was asked to come in and help some salespeople with their emotional intelligence. This was the uh, late 90s when EQ, emotional intelligence, was a thing. Um, and, yeah, then someone said, oh, you're a business coach. And I said, oh, hang on, what's that? Because I went from helping salespeople to helping leadership and then someone said, oh, you're an executive or a business coach. And then I realised there was an industry uh, beginning. Mm. And what so, do you love, what do you love about, about the coaching just uh, helping adults in roles understand themselves within that role and to see how they are enabling themselves for the things they say they want to achieve and to see how and to help them understand how they themselves, not the system, not the government, not the, regulars, the regulator, not the treasurer, not the ec- economy, but how they themselves and certainly not their boss, how they themselves are interfering with what they say they want to achieve. Mm. That's what I love about it. Did you have a coach when you were at work, when you were working in business, in corporate? I think I went to sales training once. Mm. I more did benefited from um, mentoring from the early leaders I worked from and I learned from the devils and the saints in that regard. I had some bad ones. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. I'm not, I wonder if you did in your real job world. Um, but, yeah, I really learned from the great ones great bosses yeah the reason I asked that I I remember being I think I must have been about 28 29 and that was my up until that stage I had done most of my learning on the job or via corporately paid training programs and I hit this point in my career and I'm sure this is what happens with many people that reach out to get coaches of for me, it was what's next, where am I going, blah, blah, blah. And I, for the first time, engaged um, out of my own pocket. I actually paid two coaches at the time for two very different things. And, um, you know, and ever since then, it's been part of my regular investment. And I'm a massive believer in that we all need to make sure we surround ourselves with people that are going to make us better. Uh, but at the time, I, go, I remember thinking to myself, I wish somebody had told me about how you can get this like superpower um, and that it existed because at the time I'd never really considered it and I really do believe that that all of us um, can benefit from investing in a coach or a mentor or both to help us help us become better versions of ourselves. What's your view on that, Peter? Yes, and concur with everything you're saying and 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 the neuroscience and the you know the wisdom of the ages shows us that most people, especially in hierarchical organisations, um, are subject to the culture of the organisation and the structure, uh, and that most of us have a sort of fear response, and it can sound like I better meet the expectations of others or else. So, so, so I concur with everything you're saying and, and respect that the adult needs to choose it in the same way you did. You chose and put your own money on the line. Mm. 
which is entirely different to someone being sent along for coaching. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the question I'm always asking executives. I see it as a choice forward initiative and I'll support them in their choices uh, regardless of what I might think about those choices because mm-hmm. once they choose and then find their own learning, uh, every, everything becomes possible then. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. What holds people back from choosing their own learning? What experience have you had or what have you seen that stops people taking ownership of becoming better? Well, the adult development research that that looks at that very question um, shows us that most of us, 70% of us, are set up. In psychology, they call it as an external locus of control. So if you like me, I'll like me. And if you think I'm smart, I'll think I'm smart. Um, so the majority of us, and this is why leadership is so important, you can't lead from that consciousness. Mm-hmm. One needs to have the self-worth and the identity and the passion to transcend the norm group, which is 70% of us, who, who are oscillating around you know, being accepted and seen as smart or, or, or successful. So, so that's the majority, that's the thing that gets in the way of most people is, is just that dependency on impressing the norm group. I was talking about this exact thing last week and my, the way I was languaging it was more around um, the norm group. So I was talking to a room of female business owners and the conversation um, is very much around sort of growth and, and strategic plans, et cetera, et cetera. And then over lunch, uh, the conversation moved on to essentially, um, you know, people outside of my world don't really get what I'm doing. And for those of us with kids, it was one style of conversation. For people without kids, a different conversation. But essentially, what it all seemed to revolve around was this tension that is existing between um, following your own dreams and doing what it is that you want to, you you talked about the self-worth piece, and this pull continuously to conform or what we believe society's expectations to conform are. And I think that's what you're talking to in an organisational context. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So what, what advice would you, would you give to people that are struggling in that? Because I'm imagining right now, listening to this podcast, there's people nodding away and going, that's how I feel. Um, what, would you, what, what can people do to, to know that, yes, that 70% conformity or norm group exists and you've almost got to pass through, that. you've almost got to push past that fear place, haven't you, to follow what it is that you want to do. But have you got any any tips, any advice? Yes. Go, back, go backwards, not forwards. Go backwards first. Shore up your identity, what you stand for. Um, blow off any fear you have. And fear usually accumulates in an adult from past hurt mm. um, or from past embarrassment or past failure and all the thoughts that accumulate and just repeat over so how i help leaders go back and let go of the things that that or their failings um just to offload and shore up the identity be really clear about what you stand for and how it serves others and then if you hold or revere that as the north star not not uh 
apologies for the sort of religious reference, but the North Star of of why you're acting in that role and 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 who you're aiming to serve, the customer, stakeholder, shareholder, community, etc. Then act out of the vision, purpose, and vision. Um, one though needs to first shore up their identity mm. to resist the naysayers, resist the um, and and the naysayers and the the norm group should challenge leadership. Because if we followed every great idea, you'd have chaos and you wouldn't have repeatable results. So the, the norm group is how do you become friends with the, the negative, so-called negativity out of the norm group? One first must first reconcile the negativity within themselves and mm. then that's easy. And we've all got baggage, haven't we? We've all got some form of baggage. I think it was Brené Brown that said you either choose to accept it and move forward or you choose to ignore it and stay still not exactly in those words I'm sure her words were much more beautifully crafted than what I've just said but um, I'm curious when you look back over over your uh, career and life to now can you think of a a specific failure that you can share an example that actually by owning it has set you up for success well yeah, that's a great question. That's the best question I think I've ever been asked. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm in my employed career in proper jobs. I've been retrenched three times. Wow. And each time on the way out, I was self, uh, what's the word, self um, justifying and blaming. And then upon um, upon some reflection, just realised how I was showing up in that organisation and with some distance and time, just realising, wow, how I must have been perceived and, and how selfish of me. So, yeah, there's, there's three occasions there that um, ring true. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I talk about um, I talk about the fact that I believe there's an epidemic of blameitis that exists right now, where people are constantly blaming everyone else for their lack of. <laughs> I excuse, 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 and the hardest thing to do is actually um, accept your part in things, um, which um, is is part of that that growth piece. Um, now, you, you talk about the fact that great leadership is really hard to find. Um, can you share a little bit more about where that, that thought process comes from? With the, with the norm group, if the adult development research is correct, it suggests 70% of people follow the, the norm group. Um, we know that, therefore, 30% are capable of transcending it and leading um, and, and in that famous leadership book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, um, that's an old book from the 90s that looked at the great companies and how they were different to the, uh, the, the average or the, the good companies in the US um, economy. And, and he found that the leaders, well, the, the thing that stayed with me about that book, he found that leaders were not only energetic, of the, the leaders of the great companies, they were not only energetic, they had humility and a fierce resolve for achieving the organization's vision. And it just excites me to, to think about leaders who are like that, that they are approaching it in service of others. They're humble about it. And boy, you better not try and sidetrack a meeting or derail a uh, conversation if it's about the strategic outcome. And so that's in, in the adult 
development, development research shows that five to 10% of adults can actually get to a consciousness level where they know their part in the, uh, in the system and the culture that is, is dependent or the sometimes referred to as my 50%. They know it enough that they can uh, lead beyond it. Whereas most of us fall down once we start judging others and blaming others, we've fallen back into the norm group. And there's nothing wrong with that, but these leaders are able to actually know themselves and, and lead as well. Mm. What, do you, um, what do you think the current state of leadership in some of our larger organisations is looking like? Well, uh, Royal Commissions have a wonderful way of shining a light on that. And curiously, um, GFC's Royal Commission seems to have uh, consultants like like ourselves receiving more phone calls <laughs> because they become really interested in leadership and its impact on culture. Because often these um, these detailed looks at a business or a, or a sector's practices can always find the mistakes and the process or the individuals that let the intention of the organisation down. Um, so, yeah, leadership right now is, is increasingly under the microscope. We've seen it in government as well. In, um, I remember thinking about the ABC. So it, it's, it's a really, arguably a really healthy time. People are starting to realise that for the systems to be maintained for the benefit of, every, of everybody in, in such rapid changing times of technology, etc., leadership's becoming more respected. Yeah. Mm. And there's almost, I'm feeling from some of the work that I do, that there's this um, incredible, and again, we've seen it in, in governments and in politics around the world, this groundswell of, let's just call it people power, where you almost got the challenge coming up throughout the organisation where people are challenging in their own way, questioning in their own way, the people at the top. And at the same time, questioning for themselves the sort of leader they want to be or become. And for me, that's a really fascinating place to play. And it's it's an exciting place to play because we want people to, to be questioning, to, to evolve, to actually build these organisations that are actually needed to, to drive the future. Uh, right. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, this is the, the wonderful benefit of education and the fact that Basically, all human intelligence is just behind your keyboard now. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. And to be able to know what's happening right across this entire globe um, to a point for those with social media and, and having access to perspectives that, that 100 or even 20 years ago, we would not have had easy access to. So it, it's a very ripe time for the collective intelligence to transform to that next level. It's exciting. Now, you've written a book, as I spoke to in our introduction, Leadership Alchemy. Um, and as we were offline, you were sharing the journey of writing this book. Um, what, what, what brought the book about? Where did it come from? And why did you feel the need to, to put your thoughts down on paper? I met a young lady in a workshop. I was teaching, um, it was a large bank, and we were teaching the, they were graduates. Uh, we were teaching them presentation skills and negotiation skills. And her name was Zenobia. Mm -hmm. And this 
this character I met, Zenobia, was energetic. <laughs> she was fun. She was incredibly smart. And just her, and a couple of the guys, they're a bunch of grads. So a couple of the guys were teasing and carrying on and, and she just handled them with such grace and yet potency. Uh, I was just left thinking about Zenobia and the potential of, a, of the feminine mind when it interacts with a, the old, um, well-established patriarchal systems that is the workplace. And it's her, her as a sort of muse for leadership young, energetic, smart and diverse in thinking um, and confident just stayed in my mind and I just started thinking about a, a fictional Zenobia in a corporate setting. Mm. I love it because the book, so it's, t- it's taking you six years, hasn't it, to actually get it to its final final stages. It's And I think we were sharing that the interesting thing about this book is that it's written as a, as a story um, as a fable where you're telling the story of um, 82-year-old Ben Luckridge, I can't wait to see where he ends up, um, who's built this business and he's wise enough to know that um, he's got to be really careful about who he hands this business over to. Um, and there's a wonderful character in there, is it Jack, who, God, I'm reading, I'm going, oh, my gosh, you are, You let's hope that you change. He's <laughs> almost expecting to become the heir to this business, and yet his behaviour is not conducive to the business that Ben wants to leave behind. And you're introducing all these wonderful characters and stories and then this 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 force of power that is Angela uh, that is coming in to, to teach them how to transform their leadership. So what made you decide to write this as a story? Um, I hope that's, that's okay to say that, but a story or a fable versus uh, these are the seven steps to becoming an awesome leader? Well, thank you, Danny. <laughs> I really enjoy that question. Um, yeah, the seven steps, I'm, I'm probably going to publish that book called um, Leadership Alchemy Unveiled and we'll give the, the seven steps yeah. um, in more of a non-fiction. But I first wanted to launch, because all, all the transformation of a leader's mind or any adult's mind, it is actually a fiction. Mm. And, and therefore I wanted to role model uh, or have have I think there's a, there's an absence of role models for characters like Jack, mm. because Jack as a 46 year old leader can't look to the way he was led in the 80s and 90s mm. um, for how to lead these days. Um, so yeah, I was just wanted to role model for men um, that are potentially going through the midlife crisis, which is a mythological journey for all of us adults. I wanted men to have a role model for how you know, what's possible. Um, and, of course, bringing in the feminine voices of Angela and Zenobia and, of course, Ben setting up his legacy. You know, I just wanted to play with those four archetypes and allow the reader to imagine themselves or see themselves potentially in and around those stories as they unfold. Mm. Well, well, it's working and your point about... Uh middle-aged men not necessarily having the role models it's interesting I was having a conversation with my husband who's part of my business he actually left corporate two three years ago and part of the conversation with him um, is around this exact piece where he went there's nobody within that organization that inspires me or who I aspire to be like 
And actually, I look around and where are those where are those uh, those teachers, those educators? And I think that is one of the challenges that that we're facing right now is where are those role models? Because we have got this um, tranche of leaders who have operated under a certain leadership style, and now that leadership style, which has helped them be successful is being challenged by what is actually needed needed for the for the future. You're right. I love this where you wrote, hard work for hard work's sake doesn't work when it comes to leadership. Find, create, inspire, and build the capacity in and around yourself that automatically adapts to find and attract people, attitudes, opportunities, and success to you. That's the new plot line. Would you care to expand? <laughs> yeah, this, the psyche or the sum of your intelligence, your thinking, your feeling, your intelligence, your gut, uh, intuition your experience all of that so I sort of um, collectively refer to that as the psyche and it has a plot line that's quite revealed by your self-talk and your feelings as you encounter day-to-day dynamics and and all of us are born trusting and we learn fear that tempers our trust so we can fit in with the norm group and, and therefore, the psyche's plot line is what I'm threading through this book uh, as an idea, is about how do you hear and see what your plot line of your thinking is setting you up for? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very obvious in sales teams, an optimistic salesperson, their pipeline and their sales revenue was predictable into the next three to six months. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sales results you get today are not because of what you did yesterday. It's because of what you were setting up in the past. So... So it's almost like how do we extend that easy measure into a leadership narrative that's a, a leadership indicator and not a lag indicator that we're trying to measure and test and control results. If you can understand your psyche's plot line, mm. you can predict what results you're going to get. Mm. Have you got any uh, an example that you you can share from some of the work you've done of not necessarily giving away names but um, say a leader of where they were and how they were operating to um, how what you're talking about and understanding that plot line piece and putting it into practice actually transformed their leadership style and got their results. Have you got an example you can share to help our listeners understand uh, the opportunity that can exist for them? Yes, there's a I had some feedback from Greg um, and Greg's a government uh, senior government um, bureaucrat who every year has to ask for money from treasury and Greg I uh, coached for about 18 months um, and a wonderful passionate driven public service oriented caring guy um, that used to get angry at stuff when it didn't go his way and um, he they'd received the allocation of funds from treasury and they were $5 million down. Um, and he was, he felt the fury that was his old nature and he went into a bit of you know, conversation with himself about, Oh yeah, this is an outrage. And then he said his Peter voice, this is one of the great compliments I've received. He said, then his Peter voice cut in and he attributes his Peter voice to being an open question. Mm-hmm. So rather than run with a negative fear narrative and, oh, this is outrageous, the Peter voice or the open question was, oh, what could I do to check this out? Or oh, I'm curious, what, ha- what did happen here? How could we find out? Uh, and the story goes, he uh, was down $5 million. He, he decided to pick up the phone with the Treasury office and discussed it with them, found it was a typing error. <gasps> and the $5 million was in his, it was in their account the following business day. 
Wow. And, and he reported that as a, it saved him and his team a whole bunch of angst and drama, feeling sorry for themselves just by slowing down enough to ask a question and then uh, take some action aligned with that. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. So, so this, this podcast is, is obviously about unleashing brilliance. If you could uh, share some advice to our listeners, what, what, does, what does that mean to you? What do you wish that people would start considering or thinking about? What counsel can you give to help them unleash their own brilliance? Yeah, I feel a little um, uh, unqualified to offer that given I practice so much coaching. But because, um, yeah, I, as you know, the coaching draws that from the individual. But um, if, if I was to offer a tip or advice is, is, is know and admire yourself enough. In, in this country, Janine, many of us growing up, I'm, I'm not sure how it was for you, um, but many of us were taught not to be proud of ourselves mm. uh, we would be judged for that and yeah the, t- the whole tall poppy thing so how do you um, return um, grieve for any sadness and Brene Brown's a great resource for for owning um, and, 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 and managing your baggage and, and just learning how to have empathy and compassion for yourself and at the same time developing pride and confidence to experiment to, to have a go that that great um, Aussie businessman, um, Lindsay Fox, I believe it was. Oh, no, John Singleton. I heard him interviewed once and, he, and someone said, how, how are you so successful? And he said, what, they said, what's the secret? He said, the secret is trying, throw away things that don't work, repeat things that do. <laughs> but, so my advice for, there's no great secret, my advice for people is how do they be humble enough to respect themselves when they fail but try again? And, um, yeah, be proud about the learning that happens with all the failure. Mm. That's great advice. That's great advice because it's one of those things that's easy easy to give and say, but that whole thing about trying, doing, failing, trying again is, is, is hard for many of us uh, because of how we have ingrained belief systems about that concept of failure. Um, it's fascinating. So what's... Um, what do you love thinking deeply about? Oh, Janine, I need you as a coach. You ask the most amazing <laughs> questions. Can we talk offline about that? Um, what do I enjoy thinking deeply about? I enjoy thinking deeply about systems and the sustainability of the systems within which we operate and I as a parent of a nine-year-old uh, sorry a ten-year-old and a seven-year-old they're both having their birthdays this month um, I'm really curious about how we're setting up the next hundred years we my generation have profited from 2,000 years of development and industrial revolution and you know all these wonderful things that have helped us I'm just really curious as how we're we setting up the next 200 2,000 years for for the community and for intelligent beings to respectfully and compassionately live in harmony with each other. Um, yeah, that's, that's the space where my mind enjoys reflecting. Wow. Thank you for asking. Cause that's really wonderful to, um, to, to reconnect with that passion that is easily sometimes drowned out by all the busyness that I have. Yeah. I love that. We have to, uh, 
I, I often say to my clients, we need to have time to percolate. Percolation is, is a gift, but very it's probably the one of the first things we let go for other people's demands. We've got to percolate. We've got to percolate stuff. <laughs> um, now, finally, I just my last question. Um, oh, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I think you and I will be catching up for coffee very soon. Um, we're often asked, uh, you know, what do you want to be? Uh, what do you want to become? Um, I'm more interested in what do you want to be remembered for? Wow, boy, oh boy, what do I want to be remembered for? <laughs> you're killing me. This is you, yeah. <laughs> you're like a master, master with a a cycle's knife. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> what do I want to be remembered for, boy? I guess the the translator of psychology theory for those that are not necessarily interested in I, I enjoy helping people think about and understand themselves whilst they go about the rest of their life um, and and to me um, I, I'm not an academic and um, I, I sort of see myself as a translator that's the sort of work thing and on a personal side is just somebody who yeah, who was authentic uh, and, you know, cared about others. Mm. Well, I think you're doing a truly awesome job at that already, Peter. Your your book, Leadership Alchemy, as I said, is, is my go-to read at the moment and I've recommended it. I can't wait to get to the end. I'm hooked. I can't see what happens with Jack and everybody else in that story um, to see where they end up. And I've really, really, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, it's wonderful to not only explore your journey to here, but equally your thoughts and your thinking around leadership. And thank you for sharing your insight into um, what all of us can potentially do better, which fundamentally starts with that self-worth piece. And your point about go backwards before you go forwards is a, a simple thought and yet a incredibly life-changing uh, concept that some of us have been through and others I know are curious about. So thank you so much for your time, Peter. Where can people, when's your book available? When can people buy it? And where can people find you? Ah, thank you. Um, and thank you for your reflections. I'm feeling really touched by these by this conversation. Um, yeah, so so the book is available. Any bookstore can order it. Um, I'm not so sure if they've got it on the shelves yet, which is a bit embarrassing. I've been quite busy. Um, and, and, yeah, the book's available. You can purchase it uh, off my website, which is uh, corporatealchemy.com.au. You can purchase it directly through the website as a PDF or as a um, as a hard hard copy. Oh, so soft. What's it called? Soft copy. Um, hard copy. <laughs> it got me into a, an emotional state here. Um, yeah, into the hard copy. Um, but it's also available as an ebook, I believe. So yeah, if you Google uh, "leadership alchemy" Peter Shields, something will pop up, and yeah, very happy if you order it off the website as well. That's fabulous. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. It really has been 
uh, one of my favorite favorite chats um, over the last few months. So thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Janine. I look forward to catching up. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.